Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. And by the way, happy Father's Day, right? And I say that to not just to all the fathers in the room, but also to all the uh, men in the room, because I know many of you that are men, uh, you're not necessarily a biological father, but you are finally figured to someone else, and you've invested in them. Can we go get the front of the lights on like we normally do? That'd be great. Uh, but we want to say happy Father's Day to all men in the room, because the investment you make in the lives of the people. So ladies, let's give our men a round of applause. That was not, that was above average, I'm guessing, so... You can tell them later really how you feel, hopefully in a very positive way, right? Uh, next week, I want to tell you something about next week. Um, next week, we will end the book of Colossians, and I just want to give you a little heads up. Uh, we will read chapter 4 next week, and we will finish about verse 6. And you're going to say, Doug, there's more to chapter 4 than that. I know that. Uh, but the, the ending of the book of Colossians is Paul offering a bunch of greetings and salutations to people. We won't be going through that. And I say that because of this, is because for the last 12 weeks, we've been going through the book of Colossians. And I have enjoyed going through the book of Colossians because I've learned so many things that God wants to teach us today, especially in the culture with which we live. And I think the most pressing thing that we've learned through the book of Colossians is where we started the book of Colossians. And it's just simply this truth, that Jesus is enough. Let's say that together. Jesus is enough. No matter what you're looking for in life, maybe it's peace, maybe it's hope, maybe it's joy, maybe it's a sense of fulfillment. Jesus really is the answer. He's not a cliche. He really is the only place that you're going to find what you're searching for. And I think in the times that we live in today, it is so important for us to realize that with all the chaos that can go on around us, with everything that's happening, that we come to this resolve as a body of believers going, despite all that's happening, Jesus has been, is, and always will be the answer to whatever we need. Amen? Amen. He is. And with that being said, we've also learned that the philosophies of this world are all deficient. Every single one of them fall short. So we learn from Paul in chapter 3 that because of that, because Jesus is enough and the philosophies of this world all fall short, we learn from the Paul that we better as believers make sure that we keep our heart, our mind, and our testimony in check. And he tells us how to do that in the rest of chapter 3. He tells us things like, for believers, there's some things in your life that you need to put to death. There's some sin in your life that you totally have got to kill. And then there's some sin in your life that you've got to put aside. You can't let it hover any longer. But then he said a couple of weeks ago, there's some things in your life that you've got to put on. Some things in your life that you've got to clothe yourselves with because it doesn't come natural to you. So when he talks about clothing ourselves with compassion, compassion doesn't come natural for many of us in the room, or at least Kent Van Otta and myself. We know that. We've had that conversation. Compassion does not come natural for us, right? So he says, put these things on like kindness, like humility, like meekness, and like your favorite word, patience, right? He said, clothe yourselves with these because why? Because they don't come natural. And so as a believer... To keep our heart, mind, and testimony in check, we've got to put some things to death, put some things aside, and we've got to put some things on. But then last week, Paul also told us this, that if we are going to be that believer that truly keeps those things in check, we've got to have the right priorities. And the right priorities were, first of all, that we've got to make sure that we clothe ourselves in love, right? We've got to make sure that we let the peace of Christ rule in us, and we've got to make sure the word of Christ dwells in us richly. The priority of a believer is to make sure that we are clothed in love, that we let the peace that we found in Christ reign in us, and we've got to let the word of Christ dwell in our lives if we're going to be the kind of believer that God has called us to be. 
Now, today Paul shifts gears a little bit. He's talked to us as a believer how to keep those things in check. Now he literally addresses several different relationships that we find ourselves in. And I would venture to say that in this room, every single one of us fit into at least one of these relationships that Paul is going to address. And basically, we have to understand in light of this, that as a new person in Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, one who's been called to put things to death, put things aside, to put things on. One that's been called to have the right priorities. He now tells us, here's how I want you to live in the context of these relationships. And Paul gives us three. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, excuse me, chapter three. And I'm going to ask as we do every week, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 and finish in chapter four, verse one. It says this, wives, Submit to your husbands. I know all you men are thinking, what a great Father's Day message, right? Well, hang on, because it goes for us too, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. You just got nudged there, right? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward, your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. And I pray as we open up your word, Lord, that you would help us rightly divide it and that you would speak to us today. Wherever we find ourselves in the context of any of these relationships, Lord, may you just speak to us. May you nudge us where we struggle. May you guide us where there's confusion. And Lord, may we leave today with a new commitment to these different relationships and to the clarity that your word provides for us. Lord, we love you and we ask you to be with us in this time. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, there's three relationships that he deals with. The first one's found in verse 18 and 19. Look back with me in verse 18 and 19. He says this, wives, Submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ, um, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The first relationship he mentions is wives and husbands. Now, not all of you fit into that context, but many of you in your room that do, and there's maybe many of you in the room that are not married, and you need to listen up attentively to what God's word says because it's relevant for you as well. And so he talks about wives and husbands. And first of all, I want you to notice he gives a word to the wives, all right? He first gives a word to the wives, and here's what he says. Wives, submit your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. So the first thing he says, a word to the wives is this. I want you to submit to your own husband as it is fitting to the Lord. Now, let's just clear some things up right out of the gate, because I know that I've had this conversation with many, many people. I've done tons of marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and you know, uh, when you talk about this, especially with young people, sometimes we misunderstand what submission is. And so I want to clear that up this morning, because I, I don't want to create any, uh, any bickering among husbands and wives as you leave today. I don't want the husbands to look at the wife and go, yeah, you better submit to me, woman. None of that kind of stuff needs to happen, right? Here's the difference. Ready? Here we go. Submission is this. Submission is yielding to the leadership of someone else. That's what submission is. 
And in the context that Paul's writing, it's yielding to the spiritual leadership of your husband. That's what it means for wives to submit to their husbands. They are willing to yield to the spiritual leadership to their husbands. It's not obedience. Are you with me of that? It's not obedience. Obedience is do what I tell you to do. There's no room for mar- that in marriage. Amen? Those of you that didn't respond, you need to think about that. I'll say it again and give you another chance. There's no room for this notion of obedience in marriage. Amen? Amen. Some of you like begrudgingly, amen, right? But it's true. And we confuse obedience with submission. We feel like sometimes, and let's just use men, for example, we speak to our wives and there should be a level of just do what I tell you to do. And we all wrestle with that. We may not say it demonstratively, but we all kind of do that, right? Just do what I tell you to do. Submission is different. The wives are to submit to their husbands because submission means to yield to their spiritual leadership. Now, I want you to notice something here what Paul does. Paul says, wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. Some translations would say to your own husbands. Now, why would Paul say that? And it's so important because submission is yielding to the spiritual leadership of your husband, but that's it. So in other words, wives, he's not saying you need to yield to the spiritual leadership of everybody's husband. It's your husband. Now, why would Paul make that a point? Because he wanted women to know and wives to know you are not inferior to men. That should have got an amen from all the ladies in the room. You are not inferior to men. If he thought you were inferior, he would have said, wives submit to all men and everybody. But he doesn't say that. He says, wives submit to your husband husband, meaning this, that you are women, ladies, wives, you are not an inferior creation, right? You are not inferior. And so he says, I want you to submit to your own husband. It's your own husbands who provide the spiritual leadership in the home, and I want you to yield to that spiritual leadership. In fact, wives, when you look at other men that are called themselves the believers, you need to treat them as brothers in Christ because that's what they are. They are equal with you. You are equal with them. There is no difference in the kingdom of God. You are not an inferior creation. So he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Yield to the spiritual leadership of your own husbands. And then he says this phrase, submission as is fitting to the Lord. Now, this phrase, as is fitting to the Lord, implies a couple of things. First of all, it implies this idea that wives, the submission that you provide to your husbands should be submission based on what they're asking you to do is not something that dishonors God. Are you with me on that? So if your husband asks you to do something to step into sin or do something you shouldn't do that dishonors God, you are not to submit to those things because that is not fitting to the Lord. What is fitting to the Lord is when your husband encourages you and nurtures you and leads you to do things that is honoring to the Lord. So when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting to the Lord, what he's saying is, ladies, wives, I want you to yield to the spiritual leadership of your husband. I want you to realize you're not inferior, but I want you to make sure that you're yielding is only to the things that is fitting to the Lord, only to the things that honors and does not dishonor the Lord. But fitting to the Lord also means something else. It means, wives, when you do submit to your husbands who's trying to spiritually lead you and guide you, listen, it honors the Lord. It is pleasing 
to the Lord. And I know, listen, I know we live in a world where this is a very tense issue. And you may be very offended by what I just said. And I just want to say this to you. I'm going to pass the buck here. Just be offended with God. Don't be offended with me. I'm just communicating what God's word says. Because listen, when you read the word submission, ladies, it is not saying that you are an inferior. God has created an economy in the household. I don't know why he created it, because every husband knows our wives are way smarter than us. We know that. But at the end of the day, what we know is God has created it, and we're here to honor what God has said. Amen? We're here. And so wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I want to say something just real quickly to the husbands. Husbands, he has a word for us too. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, in Ephesians, Paul kind of takes this statement and he takes it a little further. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I'm not saying that submission is easy, ladies. I'm not saying that at all. But if you were to look at the writing of Paul and you were to look at it in the original language, the emphasis is on the men to love their wives. I mean, the real hard thing is when you tell husbands, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Well, what kind of love is that? That's the kind of love that's nurturing, and that's the kind of love that's sacrificial, right? That's, that's what that love is. And so when he says husbands here, love your wives, he's using that same word agape we talked about last week. He's saying, husbands, I want you to have a deep affection, a deep loyalty, and a deep concern for your wife. Are you with me on that, man? Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, your deep love for your wife is, she comes in and says, how do I look, honey? He says, you look snazzy today, honey. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a deep love and affection and concern for our spouse, and the kind of love and affection that is willing to nurture and willing to sacrifice for our wives. Now hear me, man. Hear me, husbands. He says, love your wives. And he says, and do not be harsh with them. You probably might want to elbow your husbands on this one. Do not be harsh with them. That phrase also can be translated, do not be embittered toward them. In other words, he said, I don't want you to speak with words angrily toward your spouse. Husbands, have we all blown that one? Sure we have. I know I have. He said, I don't want you to speak angrily to your husband or your wife, and I don't want you to speak with resentment in your heart. Why? Because husbands, if we're going to love our wives as we're told to love our wives with an agape and unconditional affection, loyalty, and concern for them, if we're going to love our wives like that, that love should be nurturing, that love should be sacrificial, and that love should be understanding, right? He says, so husbands, when you love your wives, Don't speak harshly to them. Don't speak resentfully to them. Now, I want to say a couple things to both of us. Husbands, I believe with all my heart, wives are more likely to submit to us. And when this moment of spiritual leadership is needed, wives are more likely to submit if we will love them the way the Scripture tells us to love them. We can't wear the card, husbands. Well, the Bible says you better submit. Well, you know what? You better love. Are you loving like that? You know, you're going to point the finger and let's point it back. Are you loving like, I mean, are you loving this kind of love? Is your love a conditional love? Is your love a negotiating love? Is your love an agape kind of love or not? And so listen, husbands, I want us to know that wives are more likely to submit in the times they need to submit when we love them like this and they can trust us, right? Now, wives, let me say this to you. Just because your husband isn't perfect, Anybody got a perfect husband? 
Casey Peck, are you sure? Because he says he's perfect every week. <laughs> Just because your, your husband isn't perfect doesn't mean you can neglect the responsibilities to submit to the spiritual leadership of your husband. Are you with me on that? So he first speaks to wives and husbands, and the second relationship he speaks to is found in verse 20. Let's go back to verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The first word we have is a word to children. He says, children, obey your parents. And all the parents said what? Amen. All the kids said, oh me, right? That's exactly what it says. Children, obey your parents. Now, obedience here is the very thing that didn't mean in submission. Obedience means do what you're told to do. Are you with me on that? Anybody 18 and younger, are you with me on that? You're to do what you're told. Yeah, the front row is like, yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, right. But it's that, it says, children, obey your parents. Now, here's what I want you to notice that you may have never seen the passage before. Paul does something fascinating. He specifically addresses children. He calls them out. Now, why would he do that? Here's why. It's because he wanted children to know that you are real people, you are not property. Now, in our context, we don't understand that. But in this day and time, too often, children were treated as property, not real persons. And so Paul, in this, in this, this world that he's living in, where women are demeaned and felt inferior, he builds them up as not being inferior, and where children are viewed as property, he says, no, 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 you're not property, you're a real person. So he addresses them, children, he specifically speaks to children and says, you need to obey your parents. He says, you are real people. You have the privilege, children, to make real decisions. And one of those decisions that you need to make if you want to honor the Lord is to obey your parents because you're not property. You're a real person. And you have some decisions to make. And my prayer is that with one of those decisions that you choose to obey your parents. Now he says, children, obey your parents in everything. Now, I know, you're, I know what the parents are thinking. You're thinking, man, now I have carte blanche, right? I can say whatever. Listen, listen, listen. We have to understand Scripture in context. When Paul is writing to this church, he's talking to Christian Jews and Gentiles in the church of Colossae. He's talking about, if you go back to chapter 3, he's talking about what a life as a new follower in Christ, what a life as a person who follows Jesus looks like. The people that put things off, put things aside, put things on, the priorities we have. He's talking to believers. So when he says, children, obey your parents in everything, Paul's making this assumption that the everything that the parents are going to ask you to do are things that are honoring to the Lord, not dishonoring to the Lord. So if a parent asks a child to do something morally wrong or to step into sin, you don't have to obey that. But if it's not morally wrong, you need to make sure you obey that. And let me just take it a step farther. When he says, children, obey your parents in everything, he's also communicating this truth. Obey them. Listen, to all the children look at me because all the parents are going, yes, I'm writing notes. We're going to talk about this later at lunch, right? Listen to me, all the children. Obey your parents in everything also means this. It means obey them even when you don't understand why. Now, I don't know about you, and I probably speak for a large majority of the congregation. I, when I grew up, my dad was 6'4 and 270. And so when my dad said jump, I just started jumping. I just jumped. I didn't, know, I didn't have to know why. I just know my dad said it, and if I didn't do it, there was a belt that was going to come unhinged from his waistline, and he was going to motivate me to jump. Anybody else grow up that way? 
Okay, there's a few godly people in the room. Okay, I got it. Okay. So it was news to me when my oldest two boys got old enough that I was able to tell them to do things, which was always followed by a one-word question. Why? To which I responded the most godly answer ever. I said, what? Because, right? This is because. You don't need to know why. Now, I've evolved since then. I was wrong, and I'll talk about some of my sin here a little bit later. But the thing about it is this, is that there's a sense of children by your parents going, you don't have to know the why. Listen, here's why that's important for you. Because sometimes when God asks you to jump, he doesn't tell you the why up front. Sometimes when God says move and go, you think Abram knew what God wanted when he says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of most you have. I want you to pick up and move. And by the way, I'll let you know when you get where I want you to go. You think Abraham in his heart probably wondered, what? But did he ask it? He did not. He just obeyed God and was faithful. The Bible says it was according to him. He counted him as righteousness. And so listen, when we children obey our parents in everything, He's literally saying this, you need to make sure that your obedience is the kind of obedience that doesn't always have to know why. Because listen, here's what you may not know. You ready? All those 18 younger, your parents, whether you believe it or not, A, they're not stupid, I believe it or not. Second of all, they probably have some discernment the Lord has given them to see things that you don't see. And everything they ask you to do is to protect you and take care of you. Like, you know, for example, you guys have got Jade and Ace. And, you know, Ace may, let's say Ace has a fascination with the oven. Well, when he goes to the oven, you're going to yell at him go, Ace, no, hot, hot. Now, why are you telling that? Because you don't want Ace to experience the heat with which an oven produces? No. Why? Because you're protecting him. And if he doesn't listen to you, he's going to find out on his own that the oven is what? It's hot. It's hot. And so when parents tell us to do things, listen, now, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about taking out the trash. That's obviously, you just got to do it because that's what we had you. I mean, that's what we had kids, to do all the yard work, the trash. But if your parents come and you say, you know what, I really don't, I've been praying, I don't feel like you need to be around these group of people, these friends. Because scripture reminds me that bad company always corrupts good character. And I have some things, my radar's going off, my, the sirens, and I need you to trust me here, and I need you not to do that. As a child, you need to obey your parents to go, okay, I don't have to know the why. Okay, so he says, children, first of all, obey your parents. And then he has a word for parents. He says here, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become angry. Now that word father there, I want you to underline if you have your Bible, it's the word patir, and it can be translated in a number of ways. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the word patir is, uh, or patter is translated as parents. It can be translated as father because it is masculine, or it can be translated as parents. Now obviously I feel like the reason Paul used father here was because he's talking to the family unit, the dad is the head of the household, but really can be translated to parents. And so as we look at this passage, what he's about to say to us is relevant to all of us, moms and dads. And here's what he does. He gives us, the, he lets the parents know the responsibilities they have to the children. And here's the first responsibility. Do not provoke your kids. Now let's talk about what that means. Because if there's one thing in my life, in my Christian faith, in my parenting that I've learned is I'm really good at provoking my kids. Anybody else good at that? Okay, five honest people, great. So, so I'm really good. Now, here's what it means to provoke your kids. It means to push them to a point where they respond in anger and wrath. That's what it means. Provoking your kids means you are pushing them to a point where they respond in anger and respond 
in wrath. To provoke your kids means this. To provoke your kids is saying that you're going to ride them with discipline and ride them with instruction to the point where you are tearing them down. Now hear me. Am I saying don't discipline your kids? Good heavens, no. Please discipline your kids. Am I saying, and some of them, I can help you with that. So anyway, and so, you know, instruct your kids. I'm just kidding. Instruct, anyway, instruct your kids. Yes, instruct your kids. I mean, you need to discipline and instruct your kids, but provoking them is I'm riding them to a point and I'm nagging them to a point with my discipline and my instruction that I'm going to provoke them to respond in anger and rage. And let me just say this shamefully with my oldest two boys, I mastered this one. I mastered it. And can I just tell you there was a lot of moments in my life as a parent that I found myself in their bedrooms repenting and apologizing for how I provoked them. Because did you pick up on why Paul says don't provoke your kids? Because it can lead to what? Discouragement. You know that word could be translated, I mean, literally what it kind of means? It means the notion that you provoke your kids to the point where you have broken their spirit and broken their will. Now, how sad is that? You know why it's sad? Because there's many of you that are parents in the room that that's exactly what happened to you. And you've tended to parent the way you were parented. And you can look back on your parenting life going, you know what? I broke my kid's will. I broke my kid's spirit. I provoked them. And I want you to hear me on this, parents, as a parent who has struggled with this. Now, I don't struggle with this much anymore because David's pretty much perfect. He does it. Whatever we say do, David does it. He's awesome. Either that or he's learned from the other two. And so the so other two, I mean, here's the thing. By God's grace alone, do I have a great relationship with my oldest two kids? I mean, we have a great relationship. I talk to him every day, and I'm so thankful for that. But the reality is I blew, I blew it two more times than I succeeded. And let me encourage all of us as parents some ways that we provoke our kids. You ready? Number one, the way we provoke our kids is we overprotect them. Here's what I mean. You don't give them any opportunity to build trust. You micromanage every decision they make, and you're what we call the helicopter parent, right? Always hovering. That's one way you can provoke your kids. Another way you can provoke your kids is by depreciating their worth, making them feel like their words don't matter. In fact, with my oldest son, James, we would put things together, and he, listen, if there's any, I mean, David may look like my mini-me, but personality-wise, James and I are identical. And so James always has a plan and approach, and like his father, he always thinks he's right about his plan and approach. And we would be putting deer stands together, and he would have an idea, and I would like, James, I've got the instructions, I've done it before, just do it my way, as Frank Sinatra would say. Let's just do it my way. Now, what was I doing when I would say that? I was depreciating his worth. Did it really matter if the support beam that I'm not going to sit on really got put into the right place? <laughs> Maybe. But we'd have figured it out later, right? When somebody besides me fall out of the tree, right? But you know what? I've done that. I've done that, with, and I'm ashamed of that. I make light of it now, but I'm ashamed of that. And so that's one way we do it. Another way that we provoke our kids, listen, is just through criticism. Making them feel like they never do anything right. Now, I'm not asking you to confess anything today, but I bet you if you're a parent in the room, chances are you can join me in some of this right here. Some of you have provoked your kids. And he says, listen, children, I want you to obey your parents. And as you obey their parents, it's as if you're obeying the Lord himself. And parents, I want you to make sure that you are, yes, disciplining, yes, instructing, but I want you to build your kids up, not tear them down. And then he gives one more relationship that we need to look at. It's found in verse 22 through 25. He says this, 
bond servants obey in everything those who you are earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you are also a master in heaven. Now, he talks third of all about servants and masters. And first of all, he has a word to the servants here. And this word servant can be, is translated bondservant. It's the Greek word doulos. And literally what the word doulos means is someone who voluntarily places themselves under the authority of somebody else. So for example, anybody got a job in the room that's not an employer? You're an employee. Anybody? So when you signed up for that job, you were voluntarily you are voluntarily signing up to place yourself under the authority of somebody else. That's the idea of the word bondservant. So he's talking to these people. He's not advocating any kind of slavery here. What he's advocating is more of an employee scenario. And here's the first thing he says. You need to obey everything your earthly masters tell you to do. Now, the same rules apply here that applies to the children. Obviously, if your earthly masters are telling you to do something morally wrong or to doctor the books, to cheat so they can get a, a better discount with the IRS or whatever, obviously, we don't want to do anything that's immoral. But when your boss says to do something, do what they tell you to do. But here's what I find interesting that maybe you've never thought of. He says, don't do it by the way of eye service as people pleasers. You know what that means? Don't just do what they ask you to do when they're watching you. Now, you may not be that person, but don't we all know somebody like that? That when the boss is watching, man, they are working 100% and they're giving their all and they're blowing and going. And when the boss leaves the room, they go back to lazy. Anybody know somebody like that in the room? Not in the room, but I mean, you know somebody like that? Yeah, that was, I should reframe that question, right? So we know people like that. And listen, there is a temptation sometimes that when we are working to make sure that we work harder when the boss is watching, and Paul says, don't do that. Don't do it by the way of eye service. We need to be diligent in what we do, not reluctant. He says, and when we work heartily for the Lord, it pleases the Lord. When we work so hard as if we're working for the Lord, it pleases him. I don't know what your job is, but here's what I know. You need to work so hard in that job as if God himself had issued the commands to do those things in that job. So if the boss says do this, you need to act as though God has said to do it. That's how hard you need to work. And then what Paul says is very interesting here. He says, as a result, the Lord will reward those who are faithful to do that, to do that and he will discipline those who don't. Listen, listen to what he says. He said, and you will receive the inheritance, your reward, you are serving Lord the Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. So if you're a follower of Jesus in the workplace, let's say, and you do what you're supposed to do all the time, the Lord will reward you. But if you don't, there will be discipline. So he first speaks to servants, and then last of all, he has a word for the masters. And simply put, he says this, treat your bond servants, treat your employees justly and fairly. Justly and fairly according to God's word, basically. So if you're an employer in the room, and you are, if you have people under you at any level, the, this word is for us as a and master is a very loose term here. It doesn't mean, I mean, you're, I mean, in this context, it's more those that are in authority, position of authority. You need to make sure that you're dealing with them justly and fairly. 
You're treating them the way you want the Lord to treat you, right? And consequently, if you don't, guess what? The Lord will discipline you. So as we look at this passage, we see three kinds of relationships. We see wives and husbands, we see children and parents, and we see masters and we see servants. And there's three lessons I want you to write down as I get ready to close. Three lessons I think we can take away from this passage today. Here's the first one, or three points. The first one is your identity is in Christ, not your role. Don't forget your identity is in Christ, not the fact your husband, not the fact your wife, not the fact your child, not the fact that you're a parent, not the fact you're an employer or an employee. Your identity is in Christ alone. Second thing is this is that your identity in Christ doesn't erase your roles. So just because you belong to Christ and he's where you find your identity doesn't mean you can be an terrible employee. Doesn't mean, husbands, you don't have to love your wives. Doesn't mean, children, you don't have to obey your parents. Your identity in Christ doesn't neglect the roles you have. And the third thing is this. Your identity in Christ should determine how you engage in those roles. Because you belong to Christ, wives, Submit to your husbands, your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your kids. Servants, obey. Masters, treat fairly and justly. See, our identity in Christ should teach us and show us how we're to engage in those roles. Now, here's what I want you to do as we close this morning. Maybe for some of you in the room, as we talk about wives and husbands or parents and children or even employees and employers, maybe there's been some hurt there. Maybe some things have been said. And here's my prayer. When there, listen, here's what I know about all of us. Where there is relationships, there will always be hurt. Amen? When you're in relationship, whether it's wives and husbands, employer and employee, children and parent, there will always be hurt. And here's my prayer. If you recognize, hey, husbands, I'm not loving the way I should, or wives, I'm not submitting the way I should, or children, I'm not obeying the way I should, parents, I provoke my kids instead of building them up. If you found out today as we've gone through this, I'm not responding the way that I should. Here's what I know. It's create hurt somewhere. And where there's hurt, here's my prayer, is there would be healing this morning. Where there's hurt there would be forgiveness this morning. And where there's hurt, there might be a fresh start. So maybe this morning you're sitting beside your spouse and as I pray in a moment, we begin to sing, you just need to lean over them and say, you know what? I'm committing to husbands. I'm really committing to love you like I've never loved you before. I'm committing to submit to you like I've never submitted. I'm committing to you. Or maybe you're next to your kids. Or don't nudge your kids going, did you hear what the pastor said today? Don't do that. But you can't commit to your kids, you know what? I've been harsh. I'm sorry. Can I tell you that's the hardest thing to say as a parent, but the most needed thing you can ever say as a parent is that I'm sorry and I was wrong. And you ask for their forgiveness. So wherever you find yourself today, I pray for healing, forgiveness, and a fresh start. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, stand with me. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the truths that we learned today. And God, I pray for wives today that they would have a biblical understanding where maybe there was once confusion, maybe there's not clarity of what biblical submission looks like. God, I pray for husbands today that we caught a better picture of what it means to love our wives because loving them the way that you tell us to love them is the means that we're going to treat our wives like a partner, not a subordinate.
And God, we need to hear that today. God, I pray for children this morning. They just wouldn't hear that old truth of just obey your parents, but they would understand why they're obeying their parents. That when they obey their parents, it's as if they're obeying you. And Lord, I pray for parents in the room today that we would take our cue from you. That yes, you discipline us. Yes, you instruct us. But you're a God who never provokes us. And may we be a parent who no longer provokes our kids. And I pray for employers today that they would be convicted to treat their employees justly and fairly. I pray for employees, Lord, that they would no longer have apathy toward their job, but they would work diligently and hard and heartily as if they were working for you. God, I believe in the context of relationships that we're in, you've called us as a new creation, yes, to do some pretty drastic things in our life, but now today what we see is you've called us in how to live in relationships, how to live differently. And God, I pray for marriages today that if we're going to have homes that are truly homes that are honoring you, wives are going to submit to their husbands. Men are going to love their wives. If we're going to have homes that are growing and nurturing, children are going to obey their parents. Parents are going to love and build up their kids. God, these are just a few moments and a few, few examples that Paul gives, but if we're going to carry the light of Christ, it's not just here on Sunday morning. It's in every relationship we are invested in. So God, I just pray today. I just pray for families. I pray where there is hurt, there is healing this morning. I pray for where there is hurt, there would be forgiveness this morning and repentance. I pray where there is hurt this morning, there might be a fresh start for a marriage. A fresh start between parents and children. A fresh start. But Lord, we know that only that can happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you just move in our hearts right now? Would you just move in our lives? And we'd be faithful to respond as you lead us. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe right where you stand. You need to talk to your spouse, talk to your kids. Maybe you need to cross the room to make that happen. Maybe you just want to come kneel and posture yourself in a humble way before the Lord of this altar. But however you need to respond, will you be faithful to do that in this very moment? Let's continue to worship together.